hello to everybody who is tuning in. You know me, it's Steele Philippe, writer and producer extraordinaire. I'm here with another episode of Building a Better Story World, the podcast that helps you create and understand narrative universe design. Some of you are veterans of the field or this show. Others are rookies or newcomers. You're all welcome to take a seat around the fire as I spin yarns and help get your imaginations pumping. For the past few episodes, we've been dealing with some more pragmatic advice on how to craft your story world. We've covered exposition. I want you to follow her. Get me a couple of nice, juicy pictures I can wise the rabbit up with. Forget it. I don't work too time. Juxtaposition. The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. And dialogue. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lamb. This episode, we're getting into something that's a little less compositional and a little more cerebral because you're going to be examining other people's work and determining why their composition and story world functions or does not function for you. For that reason, I'm calling it critique, particularly as this will help you focus on work that isn't quite up to snuff. I'll be asking you to look at specific pieces of media on whatever platform inspires you to better understand why they don't hit the mark. Some will be classics that aren't your cup of tea. Others will be huge hits that you just don't get. Then there will be the flops or failures that you may enjoy watching for the inadvertent laughs they elicit. All fall under a broad category that I will say is akin to eating your vegetables. Too often, people eschew studying bad stories or narratives that they don't like. Why bother when there is so much good stuff out there, particularly now in the golden age of content? There are a number of reasons. The classics of yesteryear inform the creators of today, so even if you don't like them, you will want to add their craft to your vernacular so you can speak intelligently about them and why you want to go in a different direction. There are valuable lessons in learning about audience behavior and their aspirations when looking at smash hits that seem like complete cow dung to you. It is often easier to speak to why a bad piece of media doesn't work than why a great piece transcends into art. Most importantly, it allows you to be a practitioner of craft even when you're not actually composing. Artists need to breathe in and breathe out. That is, we need to be able to create art and experience art. If we do not create, we are not creators. If we do not engage, then we don't learn. If you're taking an even bad work with a critical eye, then you will be learning while others are simply dismissing. Let's start with the bitterest pill to swallow, the classics. Be they in the form of The Scarlet Letter, Gone with the Wind, The Dick Van Dyke Show, or any number of other hits of yesteryear that you may have been force-fed as a youth, a big part of our disdain comes from the fact that we were expected to appreciate them. A turning point for yours truly came when the teacher of mine told me that I didn't have to like the classics, but I did have to read them. Once I was allowed to form my own opinions on these works, I discovered that I actually did enjoy some of them, or at least some parts of them. Even more importantly, looking critically at the classics will allow any artist to find areas where maybe their heroes could have done better. Let's take The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. It was a global box office smash. It won the Oscar for Best Picture. It's widely acclaimed as one of the best movies ever, and a majority of fans regard it as the best of the LOTR trilogy. Personally, I prefer The Fellowship of the Ring and The Two Towers, particularly in their non-expanded forms. Why? Well, mostly it's because The Return of the King doesn't know how to end its narrative. It takes Peter Jackson 50 minutes from when the One Ring is destroyed until the end of the credits. You could watch an entire episode of television in the time it takes this film to conclude its epilogue. Here at last, on the shores of the sea, comes the end of our fellowship. It is a massive story world, and a lot needs to be wrapped up, 
but for me, the energy of the film is lost by the time Samwise Gamgee finally settles down in Hobbiton. There are any number of other classics out there that are now viewed as sacrosanct by those in the know, but you don't have to be one of those. You are an individual with taste and a voice. If you think that Game of Thrones is problematic, or that the Wheel of Time is overwrought, or that the structure of Fellini's films are a complete mess, that's entirely acceptable. Just make sure you can explain why you think that way. There will be an army of people who oppose you, and more importantly, you'll want to learn those lessons for yourself so that you don't replicate them in your own work. I'm just one voice with one opinion, however. What is a classic that you might be mixed about? For today's first exercise, I want you to pick out one film, television series, or episode, comic book, novel, or other piece of media that everybody seems to love except for you. If you need to refresh your memory, maybe throw it in the DVD player or pull it off the shelf and engage with it for a bit. Then, when you're ready, write down at least five bullet points of things that you don't like about it. Beside those bullet points, write down a sentence or two that describes why you don't like it. Then write down what you would have done differently for each of those points. That's right, I'm giving you permission to correct the masters. Use your power wisely. Just because something doesn't work for you doesn't mean that it doesn't work for everybody. You may be allergic to peanut butter, but that doesn't mean that peanut butter isn't a staple in billions of people's kitchens. This will be central to our next point of discussion, so take your time on the previous prompt. Pause if you need to, and then start this episode up again. We'll be getting into big hits next, or rather, bad hits. So maybe big bad hits is the way to describe them. These are the summer blockbusters, this year's critical darlings in literature, and the shows that everybody is talking about, but that you just don't get. Maybe you don't see the appeal in people in spandex beating the tobacco juice out of one another. Maybe the quick-witted repartee of a town of oddballs really rubs you the wrong way. Are you enjoying your breakfast? I don't know if I like Pop-Tarts. Did you fall on your head while you were sleeping? I don't know. Do I like this? Is this something I like? So you fell on your head and now you have some kind of very specific amnesia, is that it? I mean, last night I was dreading mom and dad's reaction to the breakup, right? Right? Dread, dread, I remember Maybe you find a particular noble hero to be less noble and more hypocritical. Next time they shine your light in the sky, don't go to it. The bat is dead. Bury it. Whatever it might be, there is something about the work that intrigues lots of people. It behooves you to understand why. In your career, you may be called upon to craft a story world, branding campaign, or episodes in a narrative universe that you don't find particularly appealing. You may not have the luxury to turn down the job, and you almost assuredly won't be able to deviate from the formula too much. The producers want a profit, and the fans of the work will want you to give them more of what they've come to expect, or else... Hang him. For me, that's Pirates of the Caribbean. It was one of my first jobs at Starlight Runner, and while I loved the first film, the next two films left me less than satisfied. A big part of it was that this was one narrative stretched out over two overly long films, but another part was that the magic and mystery of the first film was really spice, rather than the substance of what made it great. With a much bigger budget came more expectations for spectacle, but for me, that didn't rival the more subtle craftsmanship of the first film, if the word subtle can be applied to a film about a pirate captain on a quest for vengeance against undead hordes in search of cursed Aztec gold. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. So what was it about the subsequent films that reached audiences? Yes, there was a built-in fanbase who loved that first film enough to want to try to get a taste of that magic once more. That can only go so far, however. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me. 
While not as beloved as the initial entry, people forget that it was the fourth film that grossed the most money in the series. Box office numbers don't alone reveal the mark of quality, but it definitely is a piece of the puzzle. It seemed that Captain Jack Sparrow still had a few tricks up his sleeve. Gentlemen, lady, you will always remember this as the day that you almost caught Captain Jack Sparrow. I gained a lot of insight and experience as I worked on the amusement park ride, the talkback experience, and the broader brand and narrative mythologies for the production. But some of the critical elements that I discovered were the franchise fundamentals. The key came with the archetype of the trickster, rather than the outlaw. While pirates themselves are represented by the latter figure, Captain Jack Sparrow, and thus the franchise, better fit with the former. The macabre humor, the magic, the mocking of societal mores. These were what fans responded to, rather than the power of freedom, at least on a subtextual level. Those segments of the story world, which fit with this archetype, were ultimately what were successful, while those that delved more into the outlaw struggled. It was a critical component that allowed Starlight Runner and Disney's team of Imagineers to shift the focus of the brand to appropriately extend it across multiple media platforms. Hold up there, you! It's a shilling to tie up your boat at the dock. And I shall need to know your name. What do you say to three shillings? And we forget the name. Welcome to Port Royal, Mr. Smith. Now it's your turn. Choose a story world, franchise, branding campaign, or some other narrative universe that is both successful in the world, but dysfunctional for you. In a similar fashion to the first exercise, I want you to write down a list of at least five elements of this story world. But instead of what's wrong with it, I want you to detail what the franchise gets right. Maybe the creators really understand what their target demo likes, or perhaps the charm, while lost on you, speaks to a particular segment of the world. Try not to be cynical about this. If you feel that there is a problematic aspect of the narrative that speaks to an audience's id, that's fine. But think through why that is. Dig deep. Beside those bullet points, I want you to write down your hypotheses as to why the audience likes these elements, just as you did in the first exercise. Finally, I want you to write a sentence or two about how you might utilize these elements in a story set in this narrative universe. How could you keep true to the brand essence of a story world, while still holding true to your own voice? Pause if you're taking part and need some more time. Click play when you're good to go. Our final case study might be the most fun, particularly for those of you who are fans of Mystery Science Theater, Rift Tracks, How Did This Get Made, and the mockery of a certain pair of Muppets. Die Muppets? Looks like they put the reviews up early! Yeah, or is that the suggestion box? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be dealing with flops here. These are the pieces of media that couldn't quite match the hype train that preceded them. The world is complicated, the process is hard, and even the best of intentions can wind up in the bargain bin. Sometimes these works are later rediscovered as diamonds in the rough by audiences, as has happened with Moby Dick, John Carpenter's The Thing, and My So-Called Life. It's like sometimes people fill their minds with all these stupid things, you know, to keep themselves from thinking about, you know, it's really important. We aren't dealing with those, however. We're going to be delving into the realm of the box office bombs, mid-season cancellations, and comic series that ended on a cliffhanger that nobody cares to ever resolve. So as not to kick someone when they're down, we're going to pick a film series with a director who didn't downplay the failure. I'd recommend everybody own their failures. I've made more than a few myself, so that one can learn from them in the future. It certainly didn't hurt here.
Batman and Robin was the fourth entry in the original Batman series of films. It was also the final, as the box office returns, while not as horrible as some people think, definitely showed a downward trend. More importantly for us, fans and critics alike savaged the film, with Mike Nelson of Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks fame calling it, quote, the worst thing ever made, unquote. I wouldn't go that far, but I will say that I easily find it to be the weakest in the series. From silly puns... What killed the dinosaurs? To a lack of theme and depth. I want a car. Chicks dig the car. To an over-the-top aesthetic that can't choose between the darkness of Tim Burton's first films or the campy kitsch of the 60s TV show. There's something about an anatomically correct rubber suit that puts fire in a girl's lips. Why are all the gorgeous ones homicidal maniacs? Is it me? Enough, sweet talk. The film comes across like a complete mess. Who knows where things went wrong? Maybe it was studio interference. Maybe it was simply time for the series to conclude. I don't know for certain, but one person I met had an unexpected opinion on that. I met the film's director, Joel Schumacher, when he came to speak at my college about Phone Booth. That movie is fun, and he made several strong motion pictures in his career, such as 8mm, St. Elmo's Fire, Falling Down, and Lost Boys. I would also include Batman Forever, the prior film in the series which Mr. Schumacher also directed. While I prefer Batman Returns, I think Batman Forever does a much better job at balancing the gothic romance of Burton's first two films and the fun required of a summer superhero blockbuster. Why? Why can't I kill you? Poor Edward. I had to save them both. You see, I'm both Bruce Wayne and Batman. Not because I have to be. Now, because I choose to be. So what went wrong with Batman and Robin? I gotta give credit to both the young man who stood up and asked Mr. Schumacher that question in an NYU auditorium and Mr. Schumacher himself for answering. His response? He refused to shirk the blame and was understanding that fans didn't like the film. At the same time, he also noted how hundreds of people were involved in the project. At no point was anybody dour about the prospects of the film. They had an established star in Arnold Schwarzenegger, as well as up-and-coming stars like Uma Thurman, George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, and Alicia Silverstone. It was following up a box office success, had a script from future Academy Award winner Akiva Goldsman, and had the full backing of Warner Brothers. I don't remember Mr. Schumacher's exact words, but his point was that sometimes bad movies slip through the cracks, and that there's no one choice or person who would have made a difference. After working in this industry for almost two decades, I wholeheartedly agree with this statement. My work on Men in Black, Alien Attack, and Need for Speed Payback has been critically derided, yet I am proud of the work I did on both, given some of the constraints I was put under. Several showrunners have affirmed to me that when you have a 20-plus episode season, at least a couple of bad episodes are going to slip through. You can't control everything. At the same time, you can control some things. The more you study flops, the more you will begin to pick up on patterns that you can avoid. I could list dozens of reasons why, but I'm sure you could come up with several on your own right now. At least for Batman and Robin, I think there were two major reasons for its lack of success. Too much stuff. The film tried to introduce a new protagonist in the form of Batgirl, and included the origin story of three villains. There was just too much crammed into what was supposed to be a fast, breezy, fun action flick. Not enough Batman. All that extra stuff came at the expense of the title character. I am one of the few in this world who thought Clooney did a perfectly fine job as the caped crusader, but he wasn't given enough. 
Batman is supposed to be a brilliant detective, a hardened fighter, a cool dude. Instead, he came across as goofy and incompetent, hardly the protagonist required for a tentpole feature. Don't take my word for it. Give the film a shot. It does have its defenders, and you can find it on HBO Max. Or you may have another flop that you're thinking of. If you're taking part in the prompts, I want you to think of one critical and commercial failure in whatever medium in which you're interested. Much like the previous entries, I want you to write down at least five bullet points, this time detailing why this work didn't appeal to either critics or fans. Write down a sentence about why this might be, and finally, something different. I want you to write one more sentence about why these decisions were made, or why they seemed to be the right decision at the time. This is an important step. As stated, people don't set out to make bad art. If you can recognize your own tendencies and weaknesses in that which has failed before, you'll be much more likely to spot it in your own work before you invest your time, money, and willpower. As an example, why was Batman and Robin stuffed with characters? From my perspective, it was because the appeal of star power was too good to pass up. Arnie, Uma, Chris, and Alicia all had huge film hits under their belts, and if there was one actor who, at the time, was perhaps the least bankable, it was George, who was popular on NBC's ER, but had yet to really flex his creative muscle on the silver screen. It makes sense, then, that the studio would want to give audiences as much of everybody else as possible. Unfortunately, that decision was one of the things that doomed the production. You can't have Batman without Batman. Once again, try not to be cynical about this. Really try to get into the mindset of those who made the creative and business decisions of whatever flop you chose. The greatest weakness of many artists is that they don't think from a financial perspective, while the greatest for business types in art is that they don't understand the artistic process. Quality craft is step one in creating good art, but avoiding pitfalls is the very next step. Think through those potential calamities and, if needs be, pause before starting up again. All three of these exercises I detailed in this episode harken back to the emotionality we felt when we first experienced art. We were entranced by the amazing things we read, saw, or heard. We wanted to produce our own. As we began to learn, however, there was frustration. Frustration because we couldn't create good work yet. Frustration because it took so much effort. Frustration because we realized that our initial joy for experience had shifted. We were no longer experiencing art on just the surface level, and we were not quite at the level where our creations made us proud. It can be very disheartening to look at art that we find suspect and to see it succeed. Many people stop trying or turn bitter. Ira Glass put it much better than I when he discussed taste and creativity. Quote, Your taste, the thing that got you into the game, is still killer, and your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. Unquote. Picking up a bit later, he says, quote, I took longer how to figure out how to do this than anyone I've ever met. It's going to take a while. It's normal to take a while. You've just got to fight your way through. Unquote. That is the critical lesson I want everybody to take away from this episode, regardless of whether or not you engaged with the prompts. Those terrible movies, series, books, comics, or whatever that I asked you to think about, you can do better. I guarantee you, the person who is listening to my voice right now, that you can make better. It is not easy. It is not straightforward. But the only difference between you and the people who made that garbage piece of media is that they went out there and got it done. You should feel emboldened when you watch, read, or hear something terrible. If that piece of work can get made, so can yours. Stuff yourself with a little bit of confidence, even if it's ill-gotten, and listen to me. You can make it work, too. This is why I always ask you to keep on creating. You will only succeed if you try. If you want more help, please keep on listening. I'll be detailing just a couple more pragmatic tips for story world development before moving on to a new arc of content. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, or any fine podcatcher. 
You can find more episodes online at bavsw.buzzsprout.com or on my website, steelfellapack.com. Reach out on Twitter at Words of Steel or on email via helmstarmedia at gmail.com. Keep on working, keep on writing, and keep on dreaming. Building a Better Story World is written, produced, recorded, and sound engineered by Steel Tyler Filipek. The theme song, Asia, is by Ilya Marfin via icons8.com. All narrative clips are used under the Fair Use Doctrine, as defined by Title 17 of the United States Code, subsection 107, in that they are used for nonprofit educational work for the purpose of analysis, have been transformed from their initial records by audio engineering for podcasting, and are not substantive of the entire work or function as a direct market substitute. Audio effects are provided by freesound.org under the Creative Commons license. If you feel that this production has unfairly used a piece of audio to which you own the rights, please contact helmstarmedia at gmail.com.